you have your Bibles today, I'd ask you to turn with me to Matthew 25. We're going to begin at verse 14. What do you want to give to Jesus for Christmas? That's the title of my sermon today, and we're going to be thinking about that as we look through the parable of the talents. Verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained also two more. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. And his Lord said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you have delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here it is, what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money in the banks. and my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he who will have abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Well, this morning, all over America, there are literally millions of children that are wondering what they're going to get for Christmas. They're all worried about it. Am I going to get the main thing I wanted for Christmas? That's what they're saying. That's what they're thinking. Am I going to get that Schwinn bicycle? Am I going to get that whatever? Uh, they're all excited, and they go in, and they look over the presents and the gifts, and uh, they have four in that big room with their name on them, and so they're all excited. None of them are as big as a bicycle, though, and that kind of worries them. So, uh, you know, they're excited. I want to ask you a question this morning. What have you thought about giving Jesus for Christmas? You know, it's his birthday, and we, of course, want to remember him. He doesn't really want a toy from you. He doesn't want clothes. He doesn't want cars. Those kind of things are, are not important at all to him. He doesn't need any of those things. Well, he is very interested in your purpose in the world. He's interested in that. 
And there's something about that that you could make into a present to him. Finding your purpose and then carrying it out is one of life's commitments that helps each of us to build a strong character. And Jesus is very interested in that, for sure. That is the primary reason that uh, we need a church home, a place where we can give out, reach out, where we can make a commitment to the people that we know and love. I mentioned there were a lot of six folk, and right now there are. And I know that many of those would uh, really appreciate a visit, a call, a card from you. And we have opportunity to minister in that way in our church, and it's really a blessing to those that are having a hard time. The Christian life is not a Lone Ranger life. We do it together. We do it as the family of God, the body of Christ. We do it together. We move in unison so that we might uh, have a real impact on the world in which we live. We are called to serve God and to help people. Now, if we're not doing that, then we're not following the plan that God has for us. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells us the parable of the talents. In the parable, Jesus gives to us seven life principles. Now, these are important principles. These are principles that all of us need to have in our lives. If this Christmas we could pray to Jesus and say, I'm going to try and understand these seven principles, and I am going to try and live them out in my life. That would be a great and wonderful present for Jesus this Christmas. Principle number one is ownership. Everything that I have belongs to God. Everything that you have belongs to God. Verse 14, that's what it says. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means everything. Not only the land on which we live, but the stuff in the land, the stuff over the land. Everything, everything belongs to the Lord. Now we're allowed to use some of it for 50 or 75 or 100 years, whatever it might be. It's kind of like a rental. You know, we don't get to keep it for an eternity. We have to kind of give it back, you know, when we're, when we're through with it. You have heard this uh, about the hearse there's never a hearse that goes by that has a u-haul on the back (laughs) it just doesn't work that way we don't take anything with us we came into this world without a thing we didn't even have anything on and listen we go out in the same way we we uh, don't have anything no u-hauls nothing goes with us well we hope and pray Uh, that everybody knows that it all belongs to God. God has entrusted us with some of his stuff, some of his property, some of his things. It's kind of like the parable that we read this morning. The same uh, thought process is involved. You know, the, the servants and the master... And they were supposed to do well with what God had given them. We're supposed to do well with what God has done for us and given to us. Number two is the principle of allocation. God has given us some talents. Verse 15. It says, 
uh, he gave one talent to one guy, two to another, and five to another, each according to his ability. The word talent, uh, we could sort of say today, somebody figured all this out, I don't know how they did it. They said it would be about $1,000 today. Uh, I, I don't know if that's right or not. The parable is about a master who goes away. When he goes away, he leaves his servant in charge of some of his money. Three different ones. He gives them a certain amount of money. He gives one five talents, uh, one two talents, and one one. Uh, well, what's the meaning of that? What's the, what's the purpose there? What, what's that about? We are all given different amounts of talents today. A lot of difference in the room here this morning. We all have talents. There is nobody here that is a no-talent person. Everybody has a talent. You may be saying, well, I don't have a talent. I don't have any of those talents. Well, the Bible says you do, that you have. A talent is anything that God has entrusted to you. Ability, skills, strength, physical health, family, opportunity, brains, inheritance. I mean, we could list a million things. And you have some of those things. So you have some talents that God has shared with you. All of these are gifts, talents, that God wants you to have. He knows you, he loves you, and he wants to bless you in a wonderful way. You didn't deserve all that. God just gave it to you. And uh, somewhere along the line, I think, we ought to say thank you. Uh, somewhere along the line, we ought to appreciate uh, what we have received. Principle number three is accountability. God expects me to use my talents, verse 19. God has made an investment in my life, and he expects a return on it. Same for you. He's made a lot of investments in your life. In verse 19, we read, After a long time, the master of those servants returned, and he settled accounts. He settled accounts. This parable is an illustration that uh, one day you're going to have to give an account to God for what you have done with the gifts, the talents that he has given you. One day God is going to do sort of an audit on your life. Here's the question that you're going to be asked. One day, one day you're going to be asked this question. What did you do with what I gave you? Now, you need to think about that and, and get a good answer because that's an important question that uh, you're going to have to give an answer to. You don't want to just start mumbling and bumbling uh, when the Lord asks you that question. Number four is utilization. Is it wrong for me to bury what God gave me? The parable tells us in verse 16 that the first servant takes what he was given and he doubles it. He's really good. The second service does the same thing in verse 17. The third servant comes along, and he doesn't do anything with his. He buries it. He buries it in the ground. And he says to himself, I'm going to play this cautiously. My master is a tough cookie, 
and I don't want to lose his money. If I lost his money, he'd probably kill me. So I'm going to bury it where I know it'll be safe, and I'm just going to kind of watch it, and whenever he comes back, I'll have his talent for him. Well, the master's reaction to that is found in verse 26. He says, you wicked and lazy servant. I would say that the master was not happy, uh, wouldn't you? Remember, now, this is a parable. God is saying, if you don't use your talent, uh, it would really upset me. That's what the Lord is saying to us. Now, here's the point. You want to, this is the main point. Uh, this is, I know this is a 30-minute sermon, but this is the most important 30 seconds. Uh, you can't please God by playing it safe in life. Amen. It just doesn't work. You cannot do it. God has given us talents, and he wants us to invest them. To invest them, we have to take risks. And he wants us to take risks because that requires faith. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. You just can't please God without faith. The principle of utilization is that it's wrong for me to bury my talents in the ground Because he wants me to take some risks. Doing nothing with my talent is inexcusable. God would rather have you to attempt something, to try and do something, and maybe you'd lose everything. He'd be happier if you did that than if you did nothing. Notice one of the servants uh, didn't do anything with it. He was the guy that got one. It was the one talent guy. Uh, You know, it said these gifts were given according to their ability. Well, this guy, he fit the bill. He didn't have any ability. He didn't do anything with what was given to him. A lot of people have this attitude. Some people say, well, I'm not a superstar, so I really can't do anything much for the Lord. Some people say, you know, I'm not going to try something if I can't do it perfectly then I'm not going to do anything. And so they do nothing. If you're sitting on the sideline doing nothing because you want to play it safe, then you're going to miss out on a lot of the blessings that God wants to give you. I mean, he wants to give you these things. And he will if you have faith in him and you act according to that faith. Principle number five is motivation. Fear keeps me from using my talent. Look at verse 26. I was afraid. I went out and hid your talent in the ground. Uh, What you see here being used in this parable are, are the tactics of Satan. He wants you to have fear of failure. Now, you know, all of us in here have failed a number of times in our life. Uh, that's just a part of living. You're going to fail at some things. That's obvious. There are many who have had failures, and they think, you know, if I tried something else, I'd probably fail at it, so I'm not going to try And so they take a back seat, and that's the plan of Satan for your life, to not try anything. Your fear uh, will keep you... Uh, from trying again, from moving out in faith to do something for our risen Savior. 
Peter and Judas were two of the disciples. You know that. They both committed the same sin. They both denied Christ. One of them was so depressed, he went out and killed himself. The other one repented of what he had done. And 50 days after his biggest sin, God called him to preach on the day of Pentecost. And over 3,000 came into the family of God as they heard the gospel that day. 50 days after Peter's greatest failure, he had his greatest success. You know why? Because he kept going on. He didn't quit. He didn't go and sit on the back row and never say anything or do anything. He got out there and gave it his all, and God blessed him unbelievably. In 1954, on the opening day of the Major League season, the Milwaukee Braves were playing the Cincinnati Reds. There were two rookies in that game. They had never played a game in the major leagues before. And of course they were nervous. The first rookie, his player, that player was named Gene Greengrass. He came up to bat four times and guess what he did? He hit four doubles. I mean that is tremendous. I mean any anybody would be thrilled to death to have that kind of uh, a hitting spree. The other rookie came up four times, and guess what? He struck out four times. He didn't even foul a ball. I mean, he didn't hit anything. He struck out all four times. Hank Aaron had a real slow time in the major leagues. Slow start, slow start. Now, who do you remember, Gene Greengrass or Hank Aaron? He never let the fear of striking out cause him to quit. Cause him to go sit in the back, be real quiet, never say anything else. He got out there and swung that bat for years and years and years and set all kinds of records. Often we excuse ourselves by saying, well, he's more talented than I am. Or she is more talented than I am. Or they have all of the ability. If only I had the ability of that guy over there or the ability of that gal over there, boy, it would be different. If I only had the resources that those people have, if I only had the education or the looks or the opportunity, then I would really serve God. God says, no, you wouldn't. You're not using what I've already given you. You're not using it at all. So you wouldn't do anything if you had all that stuff. This is the point. Just because I cannot do the spectacular, that doesn't excuse me to do nothing. In verse 24, uh, we find that the one talent man is trying to pass the buck to his master. He blames him for not giving him more talents. God's response was that he did not use the talent he had been given. Blaming God just won't work for us today. Number six, the principle is application. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Verse 28, take the talent away from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. Now, that doesn't seem fair to some people. Some people say the rich get richer. And they say that in a real derogatory way. The rich get richer. 
Well, what's the point here? The point here is that God has the right to take away anything from us that we're not using for him. There is a universal law here. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. If you don't exercise, you're going to lose your muscles. If you refuse to think, your brain is going to go dull. If you refuse to practice, your talent is going to dry up. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. The converse is also true. If you do use it, guess what? You'll get more. Whatever you need more of, start using what you have for the Lord, and it will multiply. It will grow. Do you need more time? Use what time you can for the Lord, and your time will grow. Do you need more energy? Use the energy that you have for the Lord, and guess what? Your energy will grow. Principle number seven, compensation. If I use my talent wisely, I will be rewarded. Verse 23. His master replied to the servant who had been given two talents, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Good job. Way to go. Good job. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of a whole lot of things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, these are some great rewards that are there. Three are listed in this verse. Affirmation is there. Don't doesn't it feel good to get some affirmation along the way? My dad wasn't real big on that. I thought my name was Nitwit until I was about 15. <laughs> Don't you feel good when, you know, somebody affirms you? Don't you feel good? That makes you feel good, doesn't it? You, know, you bake a cake and it's delicious and you made it, put a lot of time in it. You want people to say, that's the best cake I've ever had. And, you know, if it's a great cake, you, that's absolutely, you ought to say that. You ought to find the person that did it and tell them. Well, affirmation is important. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. How many of you would like to, on the day that you go to heaven, how many of you would like for God to look over at you and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You did a great job. What you were given did a great job. God bless you. Good job. Well, I want to hear those words. And I know you do. And, and that's, how, that's how you get to hear them. Number two is promotion. You know, he said to the fellow, you have been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of a whole bunch of things. The master said he would give the servant greater responsibility. Did you know that the Bible teaches us that this is kind of the testing ground here on earth? As long as we're here, we're being tested in a way. And, you know, if we're doing a good job, we're serving the Lord well, when we get to glory, he's going to just load us up with blessings and riches and happiness and all those kind of things. He's going to promote us. We're going to have big jobs in heaven, and we're going to find fulfillment in serving him in that way. And then last is celebration. He says, come and share your master's happiness. Did you know there were parties in heaven? <laughs> there are. There are. There be some great parties in heaven. 
The fact is, the happiest people on earth are those people that are giving their lives for the purposes that God made them for. Those are the happiest people on earth. God made you for a ministry. He really did. He's not perhaps wanting you to go to some dark jungle area somewhere in the world. He, maybe he doesn't want you to pastor a church. Maybe he doesn't want you to be the minister of music at a church. But he wants you to serve, and he's given you some unique talents and abilities to be able to do that. And, of course, uh, uh, you would want to do that because there's going to come that day uh, when we answer for what we were given. George Gallup did a survey a long time ago, uh, 40 questions to discover the spiritual commitment of people in America. And he did over 250 million people. He uh, gave this uh, little quiz to, and he said that 19 million of the 200, over 250 million were spiritually committed people, and the results of that uh, were these. He says they are far happier and more satisfied with their lot in life than the spiritually uncommitted people. They tend to be more tolerant of people that are not exactly like them, different races, different religions. They are more involved in service activities and put a high priority on improving society. That's what the committed Christians were doing. And, and of course, we, we think, well, am I doing those things? Am I a spiritually committed person? You may be a committed Christian, but you haven't found your exact place of service and ministry. You know, one of the things our church wants to do is find a place for you to serve. And if you'll contact uh, Dr. Townsend or myself, we'll work real hard at plugging you in to a ministry where you can serve God and have a wonderful uh, helping hand to somebody that needs it. We have a number of opportunities to get you involved in. The holidays give us some time. We have some relaxation, you know, after all the hustle bustle. There comes that time right before Christmas where you're exhausted and you sit down and you can rest. And you know when you do that, this year I hope you will think to yourself, now let's see, what, what am I going to give to Jesus for Christmas? Well, he's done a lot for you. And he wants you to respond in love and service. The day after Christmas, a pastor in San Francisco was going out in front of his church, and he was looking at the beautiful nativity scene out there. And as he looked at it, he noticed that the baby Jesus was gone. He couldn't believe it. He thought, what happened to the baby Jesus? That's the center of the whole thing. Baby Jesus is gone. And he happened to look out of the side of his eye, and he saw this boy. little boy had a red wagon. And he was pulling the red wagon, and in the wagon was the baby Jesus. And so the pastor started running to catch up with the little boy, and when he caught up with him in a rather stern voice, he said, uh, little boy, where did you uh, get that uh, image of Jesus? And the little boy said, I got it at that church back over there. And the pastor asked with a little more sternness in his voice, well, why did you take the little baby Jesus from the church? 
And the little boy innocently said, well, a week before Christmas, I went up to the little baby Jesus in the manger scene, and I told the baby Jesus, I said, I love you, I just love you, and if you will help me to get a red wagon for Christmas, I'll take you for a ride in my red wagon around the block. Well, you know what? God doesn't want a ride around the block in a red wagon. But what he does want is your life, your commitment, your service, your ministry. That's what he wants. And I hope that we'll make a plan to give it to him uh, this Christmas. This morning, if you're here and you'd like to come and join with our church, we'd love to have you. If you'd like to make a public profession of your faith in Christ... You know, that only happens one time. It doesn't happen 14 times. It happens one time. When you say, Lord, forgive me of my sins, I place my faith and my trust in Jesus. If you'll do that today, that would be the greatest thing you ever do in your whole life. If you've never done it, you ought to do it today. I'm going to stand down here at the front. We're going to sing a hymn. If you're here and you'd like to make any, any kind of a spiritual decision, just slip out and slip forward. Take a stand for him who died for you. Let's stand as we sing.